Welcome to the Resonate Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Pastor Jacob. The truth is, we all made it here for various reasons. But ultimately, hopefully, we all get to a point where we gather here to honour God, to love God, to worship God, and to encourage each other to do also. We're in a bit of a mini-series titled, This Is How We Gather, and the idea around that is, in our church, we've got three mission words here at Resonate Church, um, and, and we talk about it that we don't want such a long mission statement that none of us understand it or none of us can actually outlive it and we all forget it. So um, three words, because I'm, I'm a simple tradie. And so gather, grow, and go. Everything we do is around those three things. So we talked about that over the last few weeks, and now we're in the first of our three words and throughout the rest of the year outside of guest speakers and a few standalone sermons. We're going to go through those words in a little bit more detail. So we're currently looking at why we gather and how we gather. Because the truth is we can spend many, many weeks, months, years of our lives just turning up, but not actually thinking about why we turn up. It's just something that we do. So we want to know why we do it and, um, and hopefully grab that so it's not just sitting in our head as a habit, but in our heart as an action. Our simple mission and DNA outline which we went through, um, suggests that we gather on purpose for purpose. And I love that because lots of people gather together for a variety of reasons, but we gather together for the purpose, and that purpose is to lift high the name of Jesus and to encourage, equip and empower each other in our faith in Jesus. And the truth is we gather in three main organised ways as a church. And we're, we're not quite there. We're not nailing all three of those things, but we're working towards it. It's a, uh, it's a map, it's a plan, and over the next uh, months ahead we're going to look at doing that well. Um, we gather in three main ways, and each way gives a different opportunity to add value and growth to our faith and the faith of others. Hands up who's ignoring me and thinking, what's that table up there for? Yeah, just checking. What we see in the Bible last week as we looked um, at Timothy. Now, for those that weren't here last week, we um, went into Thessalonians and we saw that Timothy, not Timothy, Paul um, sent Timothy to the Thessalonian people and he did that because he was really worried about those people. They were young Christians, people that he'd um, been able to pastor and bring to the Lord. And what was happening is they were going through a hard time. The truth is in this Christian life we're going to go through some hard stuff. You know, we saw, I think it came on Facebook and it rocked a lot of us to our cause that a young guy in America who was pastoring a church who you think, oh, he's just firing on for Jesus, he took his own life because he was battling depression and anxiety. And so the truth is, just because you say, I'm going to follow Jesus doesn't mean you're going to go through hard stuff. What it means is that you need encouragement, you need support, you need help because we're all going to go through ups and downs in life and if we do it together, we have a greater chance of being successful in getting through, finishing the race well. And so Paul feared for those people, those young Christians who were being persecuted, they had a bit of trials, they had some temptations coming against them and the Bible tells us they even had um, temptations from Satan and he was worried, he feared that if it got too much if they just kept getting pressed and pressed and pressed, that there came a time that their faith might start getting shaky, that it might wobble, that all of a sudden the very best for God's lives might not be lived out through them. And the truth is there's lots of things we fear in life. Some are good fears and some are bad fears. 
It's good to fear that someone, for someone else that they might miss out on the best in life, right? If, I, if, if the gates open, right, and I see my kids running out to the road, I fear that they're going to run out onto the road. Why? Because then they might get hit by a car, they might end up in a, in a wheelchair and they're unable to run, they aren't able to play football, they're unable to do the things that are best in their life or they might, worse things might happen. There's good fears and, and it causes us to move and to take actions so that we put into place things so that people can live their best. There's also bad fears, you know, like we, we might lose a job and we fear financial ruin when we deep down know that God says that he will provide for all those who put their trust in him and love him. And so because we fear these things that we don't need to fear, we have sleepless nights end on end and we get anxious and then we get moody around people and when we withdraw where we can because fear has got a grip on us. So from our look at Paul in last week's message, it shows us the heart and actions of a leader in the New Testament church. It shows that their heart, the leader's heart was that they wanted to gather together with other believers so that they would be encouraged and equipped and empowered to be able to just nail all they need to nail in their walk with God. It shows us that in our church, in the modern day church, we need to have the same heart. And it has to start from leadership. It has to be moulded by leaders and then it has to flow down right through the team and the whole life of the church. We gather on purpose for purpose and that purpose is to encourage, equip and empower each other in this journey of faith that we're all on so that we make famous our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Hebrews, is that the one that? There we go, look at that. Hebrews 10 verse 24 says, And let us consider, we read this last week as well, how we spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We talked about that verse last week and we mentioned that if some are in the habit of not meeting together, there has to be a reason for that, right? You know, because every action has a, has a reason. So if... um. If I, bad example, if I punch someone in the face, <laughs> there's a reason. Either I've got anger issues or they've done something horribly wrong and deserved it. <laughs> there has to be a reason. Go back to your notes, Jacob. And we spoke about the spiritual reality is we do have an enemy and his name is Satan and he's real. We can't just acknowledge the God of the Bible and then ignore the devil. You know what? He's not passionate about us living God's best for our lives. And he actually wants to see us fail in that area. And so because of that fact and the fact that other things can stop us being in the habit of gathering, we have to set up a church, this organised structure of how we gather so that it can not only become a habit, but once you start doing things regular enough as a habit, there's a chance that it becomes something that comes into our heart. And so those who have been here before have seen this. This is the three ways that we gather. The truth is most churches just dominate, get right, the public gathering space and they put all their time and effort and energy into that, um, yet aren't quite as strong in the personal gatherings and what we call pack gatherings. 
And we're the same. We're good at meeting together on a Sunday and, and doing things well on a Sunday, but sometimes we're not quite as good as, as what we do outside of a Sunday, gathering together in um, personal microchurches and in discipleship groups. We're all together now in a public gathering. Our Sunday service is this, and that could extend to other things that we're going to do in the future, like church barbecues, church camps, church conferences. And the Bible gives us this model. We see Jesus preached in synagogues. He basically grew up in those places, in those gatherings, and he also led large crowd gatherings. We see so many examples of these. He preached in Jewish gatherings. He preached to crowds on hills, in boats, on the edges of lakes because he didn't have plumb setting up a PA system for him. And what's incredible is, and interesting in church life, is if you go through any church's budget, both their financial budget and their resource budget, so the time that volunteers put in, 90% of most churches' efforts go into that public gathering. However, if you break Scripture down, Jesus spent a lot less time than 90% of his ministry time and resource and energy and effort in those large public spaces. He spent a lot more of his time with his personal gatherings, with his 12 disciples plus a few crew that hung around. And then he spent some seriously high-quality time with his four-person pack. And I personally love smaller gatherings. You know, I might, you might be surprised to hear it or if you know me, might not, but I'm not a big extrovert. Like, I do what I have to do. But I much prefer, so every year when it gets to my birthday time of the year, because he's like, we've got to have a party for you and celebrate. We've got to invite these people and these people and these people. I'm like, I don't want that. Like either a family dinner or one or two of my very closest friends and that's it. No, but we've got to celebrate. But I don't like that. I like the smaller personal things. I love smaller gatherings. You know why? Because they allow for real personal connection. They allow for deeper growth. Can we turn that? Peter off, or I'm going to have to preach with no shirt on, and none of us want to see that. And some, I love smaller gatherings because they allow for real personal connection. They allow for deeper growth and greater pastoral care. You know, we gather in micro churches, um, and we announce them this morning. And there's these are groups that are typically between four and twenty people. And in them, what we're trying to do is we're trying to mirror some of what we see in the New Testament when Jesus met with his disciples as recorded in Scripture in the upper room and on many other occasions. Think the Last Supper. Think that painting, that image that we've all seen where it's Jesus and a group of people around a table and there's just something of love and connection and teaching that you can get in that environment that you can't get elsewhere. Truth is Jesus often ran home church type meetings and they grew in popularity because they were more personal. They cut through that impersonal vibe and inflexible situation that can often happen in bigger gatherings. In New Testament times, we see the people value these gatherings because these gatherings were often packed out, limited venue capacity, packed out so much so that there was one story in the Bible where four guys had to cut a hole in a roof to drop their mate in there just because there was just it was no vacancy sign on the door. Jesus gathered with his 12 disciples and travelling crew and went with them often. You know, he told them that he taught them things that he couldn't reveal um, that stuff to the other people. And so there's an interesting setup around that for us. If we want to teach biblical truth, there's only so much we can say 
um, preaching from a front to a large group of people because the problem is I've got the mic and it'd be awkward and weird if everyone started asking questions during this because then we'd be one person. But in a smaller group setting, it actually allows for greater teaching because you can actually ask questions and we can answer questions and together we can come up with solutions. Jesus ministered to many families along the way and often went and gathered with them of an evening on purpose, for purpose. And in those micro church gatherings, they didn't need to follow a formal structure or a run sheet as much as they did when they were in the synagogues or when they were in a large crowd setting. They were able to customise the pastoral needs of the group in the room. And that's why I love micro churches. If you're not part of a micro church, come and talk to me and we can find you one. We've got a couple of micros started and over the next six months we're going to have more and more micro churches starting. We've got one in Naruma now. The Muslims are heading there this evening. And we've got a mum's micro. We've got a couple of evening micros. And I'm believing soon probably missing on our current setup would be a midday micro for those who don't like travelling at night. Um, so watch that space. And he thought about that last night. The other thing we're aiming to start gathering together is in packs And I know there's much unconjecture around that word, the pack. Um, I won't tell you where I actually got it from originally. We don't really do this yet as a church, but the truth is I've got a pack of mates, right, of Christian mates. And and I tell you what, I would not be your pastor today if it wasn't from the strength, encouragement and support that I get from them guys. When I'm having a crap day, I shouldn't say crap, when I'm having a crap day, I can ring any of them guys and I can just let out every bit of frustration um, at a person, at a program, at a thing, and I can know that they'll either just smack me between the eyes with truth words and say, Jacob, you're just being unreasonable, or they'll pray and support me and encourage me until I'm at a place where I can do what God has called me to do and vice versa. I think I shared the story the other day that one of my mates in a pack, and I won't mention Maddie's name, he um, hadn't bought his wife a, a present, a birthday present. I said, you what? He said, yeah, oh, we've, just, we've just gotten out of the habit of buying each other Mother's Day, Father's Day and birthday presents. I said, you stop what you're doing and you go and get your wife a present, mate. And I said, I'm serious in that. So he, he stopped his work. He's a farm worker, so he's able to um, stop that. And he drove um, an hour into Wagga and he got a present and he drove home and gave her a present. You know, and we need people in our lives because all of us, you, me, all of us, you know, we have these blind spots in our lives, whether it's personality, whether it's upbringing, whatever it is, none of us are perfect. I'm the furthest from perfect. Well, we need people who can actually speak in our lives and go, hey, you're not doing great in that area and ultimately you need to improve. But if I started just picking out in a large gathering saying, Gordon, you need to improve in that and Steve, you need to do that better and Plum, you need to, you know, none of us are going to enjoy that. But if we get into a small group where we can be comfortable with each other and we've got each other's back, we know out of love that we can share truth. And that's how we can really have accountability. Biblically, Jesus had his pack. It was himself, it was Peter, it was James and it was John. And he gave them the greatest access into his life that is humanly possible. He might not have spent the most time with them, but he gave them the most quality of his time more quality time than he did to the crowd. He showed them greater vulnerability and openness to his own emotions and feelings than he even showed the 12 who he was close with. Now, there's three occasions recorded in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus takes the pack, Peter, James and John, away from the rest of the 12 
The first one's in Matthew 5, and it's the raising of Jairus' daughter from death. Jesus had the three of them in the room where her body lay, and they saw him restore Jairus' daughter back to life. Pretty amazing moment, a high-quality moment. The second is in Matthew 17. He took his pack, the boys, with him to a mountaintop at the transfiguration where he was transformed into the glory of God where he shone brighter than the sun. And both Moses and Elijah turned up and discussed. Who knows what they discussed with him? I would have loved to have been there and eavesdrop on that conversation. And the other time recorded in Matthew was on the night before his crucifixion. Rough time for anyone. He asked Peter, James and John to accompany him as he went to a secluded spot to pray for strength as he faced a future of suffering. The first showed Jesus' power over death as the three guys saw him raise the girl to life. The second showed Jesus is supreme over the law when the father said, to Jesus, said of Jesus in front of Moses and Elijah, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Then finally in the garden as Jesus faced his own death, he found strength in prayer as he uttered, Probably my favourite words ever spoken. Father, not my will, but your will be done. I want to get that tattooed on my arm. For those that don't like tattoos, you need a new theology. Um, so as recorded in Scripture, Jesus gathered in his pack and he encouraged them and focused them on the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. He showed them God's power was so strong that it could even overcome death. Then he reminded them that he comes and he is now greater than the law, that we're no longer living in the time of the law. We are now living in God's love and grace through Jesus Christ. And he showed them the need for prayer and presence with the Father. And he gets them involved in praying. And in doing that, he's modelling to them obedience. Imagine if you had a group of two or three people that encouraged you and reminded you of the power of God over death, then every situation, no matter how real and how painful they are, you would know that you can overcome it. Imagine if you had a group of people that reminded you that we're actually no longer under law because most of us, what happens is we get down and depressed because we've stuffed up and we spend the rest of our month just being pity party for ourselves rather than just accepting God's forgiveness and moving on with what he's called us to do. Imagine if we had people who could pull us out of those pity parties and remind us of the love and grace of God. And imagine if we had a group of people who could show us and remind us and join with us in prayer and presence of God so that we can handle whatever we've got to faith and also live lives of obedience. Wouldn't it be cool to have a group of people like that in your life? There's power in the pack. That's going to be the next sermon that I preach in this church. We've got um, two weeks of guest speakers, but after that, that's my next message. So we have three main organised ways that we gather, but the truth is unless we get into our hearts, it's just a system, it's just words, it's blah, 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 blah. It is. If we just preach it, it's just a lecture and none of us really listen to lectures. And the truth is that's the minimum of how we should gather, those three ways. And if it's the only ways we gather, our faith is potentially just a habit and not yet something that's in our hearts. Because on top of formal structured ways, we should have natural sporadic relationships that flow out of those gatherings where we want to gather together 
to know what other people's journeys are, are about. We should want to hang out with other people who share a love for Jesus, whose life's focus of faith is the same as ours. And unless we gather with others to strengthen our faith and the faith of others, we certainly won't gather effectively with others who are yet to know Jesus. And church, we need to gather with those who are yet to know Jesus on purpose, for purpose. I've made another triangle. Who wants to see it? Can't read it. Great. So we gather in public, we gather personally, and we gather in packs, and the reality is that's the organised gathering, right? But from the organised gathering should flow a natural gathering. And the truth is if you're part of a football club, right, and I've been part of a footy club for many years, or if you're part of a surf club, if you're part of a Pokemon club or a library club or whatever club you want to be part of, you meet together and there's, it's an organised gathering, right? And then the natural flow-on of that is maybe 10% of the people you actually really like. I'm just being real, just being honest. In this room, there'd be a group of people who would not like me naturally and I naturally would probably not like them and it's not about the person but it's just about personalities that clash, experiences and interests that don't mesh together, um, just social um, inequities. I can't even say that word. But there's people who we naturally hang out with. Now that's good and we need that. But the truth is that church is not a club. And so we need to not only gather in an organised structure, not only gather naturally, we need to be intentional with who we gather with on purpose, for purpose. Do you want to know what my biggest fear is as a pastor? That we simply do that as a church, that we gather organisationally and then naturally form cliques and then we never end up doing the third mission word that is our mission words for our church is go because we're not going when we're just meeting naturally. Then we become insular and unextending and the Bible tells us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations and to do that we must have an intentionality with how we gather both with people in our church who we most naturally gather with and people who we don't most naturally gather with within our church and also people outside the church. If we want to be part of a church that actually explodes in growth, we need to gather together organisationally and then the flow on from that is both naturally and intentionally we gather with others, both Christians and non-Christians. Now, when I was preparing this this week, I felt God asked me three questions personally for me. So I'm not just standing here and going, you have to do this, but I want to share them because I think they're very good. And if you're taking notes, write them down. If not, listen to the podcast and you can write them down later. Three questions. Number one, who haven't you invited to your home from this church and shared a meal with yet? If you're very new, I understand that that's a... Uh, but, it, but if you're not very new, write a list. Would it be long or would it be short? then from that list, intentionally organise for it to happen. Number two, who outside the church do you need to intentionally gather with so that you may have the opportunity at some stage to tell about Jesus? Most of us who are praying for people to get saved should have a list of between three and five people that we naturally fall around with who are, who are not um, and it fits perfectly with what James said for communion, who we have an opportunity 
to tell about the love of Jesus. Because if we genuinely say, you know, Jesus, we're living for your name. We sing that in worship. I'm a child of God. I love you. Thank you. Then we want to share that. Number three, what fears have stopped you from intentionally gathering with people who you would most naturally not? It's getting quiet in here. What do you mean by fear, Jacob? Great question. Glad you asked. Bad fear stops us gathering as a habit. For some of us, it's a fear that people will know the real us and not the occasional Sunday polished up version, right? Everyone knows what I'm talking about. For some of us, it's the fear of sacrificing time. I might miss out on Friday night football. For some of us, it's the fear of them not liking us. Maybe it's the fear of missing out on what else you could have done. See, fear drives us on so many levels and we need to eliminate the bad fear in our lives that end up hindering us building purposed relationships, both with our Christian family and those in our world who don't yet know Jesus. See, good fear should drive us to gather together. It should turn our heart to desire together like Paul did because he feared the Thessalonian people would not stay strong in their faith. So out of fear, good fear, he sends Timothy to gather with them when he could not. In preparing this, it reminded me of the Old Testament passage in 1 Samuel 20, and I'll, I'll read from verse 18, but just a bit of context before we read that. The context of the, of the passage that we're going to pull out here is David is going to be the king one day. God's anointed him to be king, the next king chosen by God to rule, not because of earthly rights, but because God had said it would be so. Jonathan, who we're going to read about as well, was actually the son of Saul, the king, so the rightful heir to the throne. But in a weird twist, Jono and Dave are best mates and they hung out together and they are close and they don't let the future title, which they both have a level of claim to, affect them building relationship. Saul, King Saul, the current title holder, is jealous of David and ultimately afraid that David's going to dethrone him. So while he used to love David, this fear of, of losing position and fear of failure and insecurity have made him make a decision to kill David. It takes a whole bunch of bad fear to get you to a point where you're willing to kill someone that you once loved. Here's a crazy thing. The shepherd boy turns lion killer. It's, this, this bold, brave, strong dude, the, the flock carer turned bear beater, the little brother out in the field who was so bold to slay the giant who none of the other soldiers could, was running scared. I think it was somewhere there when he's on the field battling Goliath that he penned that hit song, Don't Be Fooled by the Rocks That I've Got, I'm Still David from the Flock. Was that Beyonce? <laughs> Yeah, as I as I um as I came up with that this morning, I said to my wife, "What goes through my head?" And then I sang it. So he's on the run, David, this once bold giant killer, scared of nothing. He's now scared of King David, who was scared of the giant that he killed. Like work that out. He's on the run, no longer happy with the crew, no longer in the habit of gathering with those who he used to gather with, except for his best mate, Jonathan, the son of the bloke trying to knife him. 
So we pick up the story of 1 Samuel 20, verse 18. It says, Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is a new moon feast. You will be missed because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow, toward evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began and wait by the stone easel. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I was shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, go find the arrows. If I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side of you, bring them here. Then come because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe. There is no danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go because the Lord has sent you away. And about the matter you and I discussed, remember the Lord is witness between you and me forever. So David hid in the field and when the new moon feast came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall opposite Jonathan and Abner sat next to Saul. But David's place was empty. So you've got King Saul and he's sitting at the new moon feast. He's at the table. And opposite him is Jonathan. And then the other bloke, Abner, sat next to Saul. And maybe that chair's for the cupbearer, you know, the worst job in in Bible times where you had to just um, test the wine to make sure it wasn't poisonous. Wouldn't want that job. And then this seat over here is empty. There's one, two, three, four, five. There might have been others we don't know. There's an empty seat. And I felt God say to us as a church, why is that seat empty? And then I felt God make it personal to me and I feel like he wants to make it personal to you. What seat at your table is empty? See, fear is the reason David is not sitting at the table. His chair was empty because he feared Saul. He also feared death. He did not want to gather with Saul and those who he had once gathered with happily because Saul was trying to kill him. You know, sometimes we have issues with someone, with a particular person, and that becomes a fear that stops us gathering with many others. There was at least three other people at the table who he didn't have a problem with, but the problem between one and the other led to him no longer wanting to gather with others. He feared Saul, but the truth is Saul also feared David, taking his position as king. So he ultimately didn't want David at his gatherings either. Who's ready for this to get a little bit real and quiet? Who are we in this story? Because the truth is, sometimes they're like David and we don't gather with others who we should be gathering with because we fear the gathering will be the place of our downfall where people might see the real me where I might not be liked. And sometimes, I'm speaking for myself, this is me, sometimes we're like King Saul 
and the place at our table is empty because we don't make it easy for other people to gather with us. And that's why to learn to excel in gathering with other people is important. And to do that, we need to rid the bad fears and only fear what is good. When good fear is in our heart, we will gather with both the church people and those yet to know Jesus because it's no longer a habit, it's something that's in our heart. And in closing, and can, can a couple of guys who've got the table come and take it away while I close so that we can finish with this song? In closing, I, wanna, I want us to ask ourselves a couple of questions, but the most important one is why is the chair empty? And then we can, what happens is we always want to blame someone else. But we can ask ourselves, what do I need to do to fill that empty chair? So let, let me challenge us on a couple of things today. Number one, who, who has been missing from a seat at your table? And, and what I mean by that is look around and who haven't you invited for coffee, for meal, for an intentional Gathering that you should. And what do I personally need to change so that people will sit there? Number two, what chairs should I be sitting at that I'm not? And number three, who can you gather with that is yet to know Jesus? And so the follow-on from that is what chair do you need to build for them to have a seat at. Let me pray if the music team wants to come up. We're going to sing I'm a Child of God song to close our service. After our service, please join us for Smoker in the back hall. Father God, we just thank you that you pursue relationship with us, that you love gathering together with us, that the Bible says that if, if two or more are gathered there, I am also. Lord, we love that heart that you're actively pursuing us, that you want relationship with us, that you want to meet with us. Father God, help us to be people who gather organisationally and then out of that flows both natural and intentional gatherings so that we can spur one another on, that we can encourage one another, that we can equip one another, that we can empower one another to all that God has for our lives. In your mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Podcast. Jesus, my love, my God.